Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's the conversation that we love to have about people who are doing amazing things in this world and sharing their strength to solve problems that not everybody realized were solvable. And we have a guest today who is doing exactly that. It's uh, somebody who works with a partner of Share Our Strength in an organization that we admire uh, and has been a leader in the food security space. I'm talking about Kirsten Science Toby, who's the co-founder and chief impact officer of Revolution Foods. Really an amazing organization having amazing impact. We're going to talk all about it. Kirsten was a teacher uh, before she was doing that. She's also been an Ashoka fellow. and uh, I've been involved with Ashoka for a long time, and I could tell you what a big deal that is, and an Aspen Institute environmental fellow. Um, she's a woman of incredible accomplishment. We're really glad to have you with us, Kirsten. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, we were just chatting a moment ago. You're coming to us from your headquarters in Oakland, California? That's right. Yes, we have, we've been uh, based in Oakland since our inception. So we're back in the office here today. And uh, we're going to talk just in a minute about like what Revolution Foods actually is and does. Um, and when we do that, I would love to get your sense of just kind of the impact footprint of Revolution Foods, all the places you work. But, st but let's start out by just talking about how you came to be co-founder of Revolution Foods. And uh, did that start from your career as a teacher? Did it start even earlier than that? Kind of what's the Kirsten Science Toby story? <laughs> well, I, I've been interested in food and nutrition for, you know, sort of my whole conscious life. I think I, I heard Francis Morlapay speak when I was 12 years old, and then I became a vegetarian right away after after hearing that and, and read her book, you know, in seventh or eighth grade and, um, you know, was was really kind of interested in the food system from quite a young age, as well as kind of interested in food equity, um, you know, as well as my parents being educators when I was growing up. My mom was also very involved in kind of community organizations. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time working and volunteer, you know, volunteering in, uh, in food pantries um, as a, you know, kid and teenager and sort of saw the, saw what, you know, food insecurity looked like from a pretty young age. Um, so that was, you know, that was always kind of a part of my, um, you know, what I cared about, I think, in, in my life. I didn't quite know how it would turn into a, a career or a company. Um, but, I, you know, when I became a teacher, because I had grown up around teachers, I sort of thought education was the was the place for me. Um, I I got to, you know, work with kids personally, and then, you know, got to also work in places like a community garden, where I, you know, worked closely with kids who were food insecure, and who were, um, you know, seeing things growing from, you know, foods growing from the ground for the first time. And um, so all of those experiences kind of came together for me when I ended up going to business school and meeting my co-founder, Kristen, um, while in business school at UC Berkeley and, um, you know, kind of took the, the passion that I had for food and nutrition and, and food security and along with kind of, you know, my, my limited professional experience, but my professional experience in, in education, um, which kind of all complemented Kristen's uh, experience in business and education and, and the idea of Revolution Foods kind of got, you know, came out of that, that stirred pot of all those shared experiences and, and, um, passions. Uh, so now connect your background to the light bulb going off for revolution foods. How did one thing 
lead to another? What was the what was the spark that made you and Kristen say, let's put our heads together and make something happen called Revolution Foods? Well, there were there were a couple. I think you know one was we both were taking this um, new product development class at um, at Cal in in our MBA program and. The focus of that class was to sort of identify a need, you know, not to identify a specific product or solution, but to identify a need and then to kind of work through this, this planning and kind of, you know, innovation process to develop a solution to that need. Um, and she and, you know, each student was supposed to come in with with an idea. And I came in with an idea that was focused around kind of nutrition and food and education and access. And she came in with an idea that was around schools and food. And, um, you know, it was, we kind of each came in with pieces of a very similar puzzle. And so we looked across the room at each other and said, you know, hey, do you want to work on this project together? Um, and, and the wonderful thing about that project was it, you know, part of the explore, exploration process was to actually go out and talk to, you know, real people who were dealing with that need. And so we went out and we talked to kids in, um, in schools, you know, right in, across the, across town in Oakland. We talked to school principals and leaders. We talked to teachers and we talked to parents. And um, so it was really, we kind of, you know, researched our way towards this, this, you know, idea that was born, which was, you know, there are a lot of schools out there who don't have the ability to um, to provide a high quality, healthy food option for their families, either because there are you know cost limitations, there are um, there are kind of structural or you know operational limitations. They don't have the kitchens that they need to be able to prepare food on site. There were you know kind of scale uh, limitations. There were a lot of charter schools and smaller schools that just you know couldn't put in place their own food operations, so they were reliant on on other. Um, districts and entities, so they didn't have much control over it. So, so we kind of worked our way into the solution. I think you know we both had ideas around it, but um, but it was you know that combination of experiences going out into the real world and like sitting in lunchrooms and cafeterias and talking with school leaders and um, and understanding kind of where there where was this this big gap. And at that time, you know, we saw this gap specifically for charter schools that were you know serving predominantly low income kids. Um, but had, you know, but had limited choices in what they could offer in terms of food and that complied with the national school lunch program so that they could offer the, the meals for, for free to kids. Um, so it was, it was kind of through that class at the same time we were taking a class on social entrepreneurship that was, you know, kind of teaching us the elements of the business plan and how to write a business plan and, and define, um, define the, you know, both the financial and operational model. And then also to start to identify, you know, funding sources for, um, for, you know, p- putting together the business. Um, so it was kind of through a, a few different classes that we worked together um, on different kind of parts of this idea that kind of by the end of our first year of business school, we had, we had kind of the, the framing thoughts and, the, and the, the framework for the, you know, company that would become Revolution Foods. The things that we didn't know yet, and we spent our second year focused on were, you know, really hammering out kind of the operational pieces, the food, the details behind how the food would get produced, and then um, you know the structure of the company. Were we going to be a, were we going to build a nonprofit or a for-profit or a, you know, some kind of a hybrid organization? Um, 
So we you know, spent time in our, our second year around those questions. And what years were these? This was uh, between, well, we started in 2004 in business school and graduated in 2006. And we, we started the company right uh, the summer of 2006. Uh, and then how did you sort out the uh, kind of the tensions between for-profit, non-profit, hybrid, that type of thing? Well, you know, it was at the, at the sort of scale and stage that we were thinking, we were, you know, at a, at a scale where we had you know, really no, no operation in place yet, because this was still an idea. Um, so we were, you know, really a startup in the, in the truest sense of the word. Um, so we needed capital to, you know, launch the, the whole concept. Um, but we had this vision of creating something that would operate at a national scale and be, you know, a truly a scalable kind of platform, whatever that looked like. And, you know, as we, and then we also had kind of an urgency where we wanted to kind of get the, you know, get the program running for the school year. That was the 2006-07 school year that was, you know, that we were barreling towards. And um, so the, those, those that combination of factors led us to, you know, look for funders that were willing to kind of take a risk on a startup idea um, that would, you know, be able to help fund some of the capital expenditures of getting the business up and running, like renting a kitchen space and rent, you know, leasing a truck and hiring a small team of, of folks to, um, to help design and make the food and, um, and all of those things. And then, you know, we had this, this vision of using this as a, you know, sort of a test, a test case for doing this at a larger scale. Um, and, and all of those kind of factors kept pointing us to going to, you know, kind of private for-profit investors, because in the, in the nonprofit sector, we just didn't, we didn't see a lot of appetite for taking risk and for um, and for kind of taking risk in the in the form of you know funding a startup idea versus um, you know a, it, it's hard to get a kind of startup funding to start a nonprofit idea that wants to scale really big. <laughs> um, the the philanthropic funders that we talked to, you know, they wanted to know the proof points already and you know what's the evidence, and we said, well, we don't have any of that yet. Um, so we ended up and and at the same time we were kind of learning you know about this concept and really got passionate about this concept of, of social enterprise being a way of kind of using business, uh, the power and tools of business and, and finance to, to create scalable solutions um, and to build companies that are, you know, based on a, a mission and based on creating an impact at their very heart, you know, not as an afterthought. But um, so we, we really, we got excited about the idea of building a company that was, you know, truly built around a mission, but also kind of, you know, leveraged the best of what the private sector could offer in terms of, you know, finance and scale and, um, and providing ownership to employees and, and all of those pieces. So what's the best synopsis of the mission and impact of Revolution Foods today? So, I mean, our, our focus has always been to build lifelong healthy eaters um, and, and to do that through primarily um, school and institutional food systems. Um, and providing access to high quality, healthy food through, uh, through those systems. Um, and we've, you know, delivered that impact through producing, delivering, um, uh, producing, designing and, and delivering high quality, healthy food um, that's, you know, freshly made and freshly prepared and, and delivered, you know, directly to the, the schools or, or end users. So schools basically contract with you as their uh, food service provider? That's right. Yes. And how many schools are you working in? How many kids are you reaching? So we, I, the, the sort of broad numbers are we deliver about 2 million meals a week um, across the country. That's a big, that's a big number. 
you, you say it's a big number. Casually, you say it kind of casually. That's a <laughs> big number. <laughs> um, and we're we're delivering to um, about fifteen hundred school sites across the country. So. Um, you know, that's there because some districts are many sites, you know, it's, it's kind of easier to think about like how many, how many deliveries are we making of food each, each day? And it's, it's about 1500 a day. And, um, are you able to, um, assess or judge measure might be too strong a word, uh, the qualitative, uh, difference of the, the student experience in those schools versus schools where, Revolution Foods is not yet present. Yeah, well, so we've had a, there have been a couple of um, of good kind of studies that have been done. Um, I mean, I will say there are all kinds of caveats, as with any <laughs> any study that's that's done. But um, but a couple of studies that have been done. One uh, was conducted by researchers at UC Berkeley, and then kind of published through the nutrition or used used. Uh, guidelines and standards from the Nutrition Policy Institute. And that was looking specifically at kind of our menu compared to other menus um, that were offered to schools across California. And this was done a number of years ago. Um, but but the, the couple of highlights were that our menu was, you know, against this kind of objective set of criteria was deemed to be the healthiest of the menus. Um, and the the impact that they found when they looked at those schools was that the you know the kids in schools with with our menu and with with higher scoring menus on this um, set of standards was um, that they you know performed better on standardized testing. So that was you know an exciting an exciting kind of finding. Obviously, there's you know there's not causation there. There's a lot of correlation there, and there's you know probably a number of other factors at play. Um, there was another study that was um, that was funded by the Kellogg Foundation a number of years ago that um, that looked specifically at schools that we were um, that we were serving at the time and compared you know compared other kind of test scores with school similar schools um, as a more direct comparison and, and in that case also you know the schools serving our meals had um, higher test scores particularly in English language arts which was um, which was an interesting finding again, you know, probably a lot of factors at play there. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I think nutrition interventions are extremely hard to pinpoint, you know, direct impacts for, but, um, but we've been, you know, just excited to see those impacts. And then, you know, I think we also, um, we also listen a lot to just the anecdotal stories that come from our, our partners in schools and, um, and in classrooms around, you know, energy levels being, more more manageable because we actually do control for you know sugar content of foods and um, and some of the other things that uh, that we've heard from from school partners just anecdotally have you know keep us going and and we get a ton of feedback from um, from our school partners that um, that helps helps to kind of you know guide the the future direction of our menu development as well which is always great now, Kirsten when I hear all this I think well why isn't every school <laughs> doing this. Um, and I'm interested in what, for you, what is the delta between the 1500 schools that you're in versus how many you'd like to be in? Would you like to be in all of them? And what is the gating factor? What's stopping uh, Revolution Foods from being just given the really impressive 
results? What's stopping you from being everywhere? Well, or or will you soon will you soon be everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, so there are a, a number of different factors. I mean, one is just how quickly we can scale and scale with excellence, right? Because all we 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 only want to do what we can do well. Um, so there's kind of just inherent, you know, inherent inherent limitations to how quickly we can grow and uh, you know funding limitations and to building new culinary centers, et cetera. Um, you know, there, there is a, we, we try to be as affordable as we possibly can. And we pay, you know, as much attention as, as every school nutrition director out there to the reimbursement rates that USDA puts out every year and, and try to make sure that we're designing within those reimbursement rates so that our meals can be afforded by schools. But we also recognize there are a lot of other things that schools have to pay for with that money. So, um, so there are times when schools have to make trade-offs on what they're, you know, what they can and are willing to spend their limited reimbursement dollars on. Um, there are times when we're more expensive than alternatives that are out there, and and schools have to make choices and, and trade-offs because of cost. Um, so you know, those are a couple things. I think there's the, the other factor is that our operational model really is that we are primarily, I would call us kind of a product company. So we, you know make and design meals as our product, we're not like a service company. So we're not providing, um, there, there are a lot of schools that want more than what we can offer. They want all of their labor to be managed on site. They want, um, you know, the, the, they want the whole cafeteria to be managed in what's called a food service management kind of format. And we don't, we don't, you know, operate in that way. So one of the things that we're thinking about as we look to the future is, you know, how do we how do we actually make our products even more accessible to schools that, you know, may not, they might not serve our products for every single meal, but maybe they want to buy a couple of our entrees and serve them on a couple of days of the week. So we're kind of working on making our products available through different channels, like through food service sales, as well as through, um, through the kind of vended meal program that we, that tends to be our, our core operating model. What should an organ, what should a nonprofit like share our strength? be doing to help you and and uh, feel free to be critical you don't have to say anything nice about us you could just you, you like if, you know if, if you had more influence over how share our strength allocated its time and energy and resources what should we be doing to make a bigger difference on behalf of revolution foods oh that's a great question i mean i think i think one of the most powerful things that um that share our strength and no kid hungry do is the the policy and advocacy work that you all do kind of on behalf of everyone who cares about uh school meals and access to school meals and you know and, and all the other kind of hunger uh, relief programs so i think you know as as much of that policy and advocacy work that you all, that you all can continue to do, you know, sort of helps the whole sector um, of which we are a part. So that's, um, and that's an area that, you know, as a, as a company with limited resources and that tries to put as much of our, you know, as much of every dollar into food as we possibly can, that leaves very little for us to, you know, invest in things like policy and advocacy work. So we're always just incredibly grateful to the work that, that your team does um, on that front. I know Share Our Strengths programs that, um, you know, in, in kind of helping schools with training and operational um, kind of excellence, you know, at the, at the school level in terms of, you know, implementing summer meal programs and um, implementing after school supper programs, those, those kinds of resources that you guys provide are incredibly helpful for, you know, for schools to be able to 
um, you know, implement new programs like summer feeding and after school feeding programs and, and those kinds of things. So I would say, you know, as much and, and more of that is, is great for us too, because we can provide kind of the food for those programs, but we don't always have the, the you know, the bandwidth, the resources to provide the operational support and training for the, um, for the school folks. Got it. Uh, that, that, that's good to hear. And open invitation. Uh, don't hesitate to push us if you think we're headed in the wrong direction, not doing what's most impactful can be more helpful to you. Do you, do you all do advocacy and policy work on your own uh, or do you uh, not necessarily get engaged in that? We don't do a lot. I mean, I will say we do, we point people to your policy and advocacy generally. So when we put out a, you know, I know we put out a, you know, communication to um, to stakeholders recently, and we put in there a link to to the letter that that you all had um, that No Kid Hungry had put together to you know to encourage Congress to extend the waiver authority for USDA and and those sorts of things. So we try to we try to you know amplify the the great work that's being done out there where, wherever we can, but um, but we don't have a lot of we don't have a, a big effort around policy and advocacy um, ourselves at this point. Um, one of the things I always feel like distinguishes. Uh, you is the degree to which you get students engaged in the in the meal development process, um, which sounds like kind of a obvious good idea, but not everybody does it. Um, <laughs> talk, talk a little bit about uh, where that idea came from, how it works uh, in practice, what benefits it's had. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really been kind of in our DNA from the very beginning. We, um, I mean, as I mentioned, when we started the company, the first thing that Kristen and I did was we went out and sat in cafeterias and talked to kids and, and, you know, the, the folks serving food in the cafeterias and, um, and that, you know, the, the learnings from those conversations, you know, still ring in my head when I, you know, when I think about why we do what we do. And I remember, you know, sitting with one kid who, you know, pointed at the, the meal that was in front of him and said, you know, it just feels like whoever made this meal, doesn't know me and doesn't, you know, doesn't respect me because they, they had no idea who it came from or where it came from. And um, so, you know, that, that concept has become, you know, a real part of our, um, of just kind of how we work. So we, um, you know, we do what we call project crave, which is when our, our chefs go out into schools or other team members go out into schools and we do, you know, both kind of qualitative as well as quantitative collection of, um, you know, feedback on the current meals that are being served, but also ideas for new meals to be served. And then every every time we design a new dish or a new meal, our chefs go out into um, into school cafeterias to test it with kids and to you know taste a number of different options and get feedback on which they liked and which they didn't like as much. And um, so it's it really is kind of a there is an art and a science to it of of collecting as much quantitative data as we can in terms of like, you know, going out and talking to as many kids as we can and getting their rating on a given meal. But, um, but also the qualitative piece of just sitting around with a new, um, a new recipe and getting kids to taste it and, and provide their, their input on it. Um, for you, what, what's your average day like? What are you working on most of the time? What's the chief impact officer um, have to pay attention to? Well, it's a, it's a lot of different things. Um, I think it's, so it's everything from we, so one of the things that we've done in the last year is we can, the company from a corporate perspective converted to a public benefit corporation, um, which is, you know, a relatively new for, corporate form. Um, and as a public benefit corporation or a PBC, we have to do certain reporting um, to our board on, you know, just like how 
as a as a C corporation, you have to report on your financial performance and um, and that sort of thing. As a PBC, we have to actually imp- uh, report on our impact performance. So I've been in the process of um, over the last six to nine months of kind of designing what that impact reporting looks like internally. With you know also then the the idea that we'll turn that into something more external facing over time as well. So that's that's a part of it, um, overseeing and, and managing our B Corp certification, which, you know, we've been a certified B Corp for a long time um, prior to becoming a, a public benefit corporation. Um, and so that's, you know, more kind of going through the, the third party certification process um, around our community impact, our um, you know, our worker impact, our environmental impact, and, and kind of, you know, all the different factors that the that the B impact assessment um, goes through. Um, and then I also, I now oversee our, our product team. So our product development team that both designs the individual meals that go out to um, to our kids and, and families, but also kind of what are the product platforms that we either currently offer or want to offer in the future. So an example of that is, you know, we've, because of the kinds of schools that we started working with in the early days, you know, our meals have typically been kind of individually packaged because they're designed for schools that don't have a, a kitchen infrastructure. We're, we're in the process now of rolling out a, a new way of, um, of serving our meals, which is what we call, you know, more like a buffet style so that in a, in kids that can, that or schools that have um, the, the staffing resources to support, you know, scooping and serving food on a, on a food, on a cafeteria line, um, we're in this next school year rolling out the ability for um, for schools to do that with our food, which is exciting to me because I love the idea of reducing the amount of packaging that's going out into the world, um, and and that's one way to to do that. So I oversee our our product team and and kind of product and platform team, um, and then there's a, a lot of other kind of catch all things that I do um, as our chief impact officer, you know. Uh, I am, you know, involved to the extent that, you know, we've talked about in issues around policy and advocacy, um, you know, exploring and and building partnerships with nonprofits where, you know, where it makes sense and in the ways that it makes sense to kind of build shared programming or, um, you know, we're actually looking at at in the future ways of, of kind of bringing philanthropic funding in, in different ways to actually like test and pilot and scale new uh, new programs around environmental sustainability and climate impact and workforce development and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, I spend some of my time thinking towards the future um, about what what that kind of, you know, how we can be even more visionary about um, about how we kind of use our existing platform as a, as a platform for, for testing and scaling new efforts to, you know, build an even better company and better world. Last thing I wanted to ask you, just um, given for the last couple of years and everything that's going on real time today from um, pandemic ups and downs to Ukraine uh, and war uh, around the world. What do you do? What does Revolution Foods do? And this is, and I'm asking because this is a question that, you know, we're challenging ourselves on uh, all the time. Uh, to What do you do to kind of maintain a sense of urgency uh, around these issues? People are, um, pulled in so many different directions in terms of causes that they want to support. Um, we see obviously the issue of school meals, childhood hunger, childhood nutrition, uh, as fundamental formative, you know, kind of like the, the platform on which so much else, um, uh, uh, gets done. And if it doesn't exist, um, 
it creates even more obstacles upstream. But what do you do at Revolution Foods to kind of keep a sense of urgency among your your stakeholders, your clients, your customers? You know, I mean, it's interesting because I think um, I think we we live in a world of stakeholders that tend to sort of see the urgency of of food insecurity being something that needs to be front and center. Um, so I do think, you know, one of the things that's become more apparent in the last, you know, through the pandemic particularly is just the fragility of every family <laughs> in terms of, you know, whether it's income, food insecurity, um, and, the, and the fact that, you know, there's there's no, there's no sort of, it's, it's hard to find the silver bullet solution that's going to, you know, end food insecurity today. But, you know, I think that the pandemic served as such a reminder that, you know, there are so many families who are just who are constantly living on the edge. Um, and, you know, one one event or, you know, a significant increase in gas prices or a job loss can can tilt things, you know, significantly to, towards, you know, towards the worst for that family. So I think, you know, bringing it back to that kind of individual, you know, the, the fact that that each family is is constantly, um, you know, that there are so many families that are constantly kind of struggling with this as a, as an issue and, you know, bringing a face to it is, um, is something that, you know, we do. I know with our team, we talk a lot about, you know, individual, individual schools, individual students that we hear from, um, to, to just kind of, you know, that this isn't just something that we're not just cranking out widgets every day. You know, we are feeding meals to individual kids and families every day. Um, and, there's just, there's urgency to making sure that each one of those is, is excellent and nutritious and, um, and that we have the ability to continue operating um, to, in order to do that. So I think, you know, bringing it to the kind of individual level and, um, and you know, that I think that, you know, instilling messages like the fact that, you know, it's the, this isn't like a program that we're operating for other people, you know, within our company, we have a lot of, a lot of our team members who have, you know, whether it's kids, uncles, aunts, cousins, um, nieces, nephews, grandchildren who are part of the community, uh, the, the school communities that we serve every day. There's just that, um, that kind of human connection too that's really powerful. Yeah, and you don't have to go very far, you're saying, to, to find it. It's somewhere in your immediate network, um, some of this need and some of this impact. Uh, Kirsten, what's the best way for folks to learn more about Revolution Foods? Best website, best uh, point them in the right direction? Yeah, so our website is uh, revolutionfoods.com. Um, and then Revolution Foods is our handle on Facebook and Twitter and uh, Instagram, all those places that, that you can find us. Um, so, yeah, hope you look into us. Awesome. Well, we've been talking with Kirsten Science Toby, the co founder, chief impact officer of Revolution Foods. Learned a lot from you today, Kirsten, as I knew I would. Uh, my admiration only continues to grow. Thank you so much for the amazing work that you're doing for our kids all around this country. Thanks so much, Billy. Great to talk with you. Uh, you've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. Uh, you can go to our website, addpassionandstir.com and find previous episodes to rate, rank, and share with your friends. On behalf of our producers at District Productive, Hunter Sense, and Paul Woodle, um, and Johanna Weber at Papanaw, and our team at Share Our Strength, my sister Debbie Shore, uh, Kelly Griffin, Megan Cantrell, um, thanks so much for listening. I'm Billy Shore.